Hi, this is Pastor Joshua Morocco, and you are listening to our King's Central Podcast. I hope you get encouraged. I hope the Word of God brings transformation to your life and empowers you. Thank you so much for joining us. Enjoy the Word. Praise God. How's everybody doing tonight? Hey, it's good, it's good to see everybody here. I'm Like Pastor Alex said, I'm Pastor Andrew. I get the privilege of working with Pastor Josh and Pastor Shannon over there on Oahu. And I'm just so honored that I get to be here with you guys tonight. First and foremost, I just want to honor Dr. Morocco and Pastor Colleen and just thank them for their investment into me and to all of us. Amen. I don't think any of us would, would be where we are today if it wasn't for what God's done through them and through their family. And it's a wonderful thing. And we're going we're gonna to be keeping them in prayer. Amen. And going to continue to believe God for healing for Grandpa Bovi and for God to, to move in their family. Amen. And doing, doing incredible work. How many of you guys have been participating in this this extravagant challenge. By a show of hands, anybody, anybody done something? You bought someone some groceries or helped your neighbor out or, you know, did something to, to show the love of Jesus in someone's life in a practical way? I, I love this testimony. I don't know how many of you guys are familiar with Cocoa Head on Oahu or not, but it's, um, we call it a hike, but it's not really a hike. It's like this, it's this Stairmaster. It's, actu- it's actually probably one of the worst workouts you'll ever get yourself into. And so when Jensen's talking about like, oh, I just carried buckets of gravel up and down Cocoa Head, I'm just watching that thing being like, dude, that is, that is insane. So you don't, you don't have to do something that intense, but the point is this, find something that you can do this week where you can, you can really, you know, share the love of Jesus with somebody in your community. Where you can go out of your way and, and love somebody practically. You know, it's, it's one thing to say, oh, I love you. It's one thing to say Jesus loves you. It's another thing to prove it. It's another thing to show them. You know, that's why we give out food every week. That's why we extend ourselves and go out of our way to do everything that we can to demonstrate to people that Jesus loves them. Amen? And that's what this series is all about. And, and I want to I share a very uh, familiar passage of Scripture with you all tonight. But I'm hoping that God will, will give you some fresh insight into it as, as, as he's given me. And, and God's really kind of rocked my world a little bit with this, with this parable and with this teaching. And I'm hoping that God does the same for you. But I want you to turn your Bibles with me to the book of Luke, chapter 10, verse 25. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. We're going to just kind of pick this parable apart as we go. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. And it starts off like this. And, and behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Would you pray with me tonight? Lord Jesus, we just come before you. I pray that you would speak to us. Lord, let your word come alive. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd anoint me to, to, to preach and to communicate your word. Lord, I pray that, that you, would, you would speak to all of us, that you would convict all of us in the same way that when you spoke this parable to, to people over 2,000 years ago, God, that it, it convicted them and, and, and brought them to, to that, that place of 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 conviction and, and the need to, to love in a deeper way. I pray you do the same thing for us, and I thank you, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So let's, let's put ourselves in, the, in this moment and 
kind of step into the scenario of what's going on. Here Jesus is, is teaching. And the Bible says that a lawyer stands up and he asks Jesus a question. He stands up and he says, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's a good question. But you got to realize this. The lawyer is not asking Jesus this question because he's a sincere seeker. In other words, he's not asking this question because he wants to get saved. He's asking this question to test Jesus. He's asking this question to get Jesus into, into a debate, to hopefully get Jesus to say the wrong thing, to maybe get in an argument with Jesus, and somehow this lawyer wants to show that he knows more. right? So he's, he's, trying, to, he's trying to test Jesus. But Jesus' response is amazing. He looks back at, at the lawyer and says, well, what do you think? And the lawyer says, well, my interpretation of the law is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. You know what's incredible about that? You know what's incredible about that is that's the right answer. That, that, that actually, that's correct. And Jesus looks at him and says, you've answered rightly. Do this and you will live. Jesus said the exact same thing. When Jesus was asked by the scribes and the Pharisees, what's the most important commandment? You know what he said? The exact same thing. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he said, on these two commands hang all the law and the prophets. In other words, Jesus is saying, get these two things right, love God and love people, and out of that is going to flow everything else. You know, you're not, you're not going to need to worry about meticulously keeping the law if you can just love God and if you can just love people. But the lawyer has a problem. The Bible says that he feels the need to justify himself. So he asks Jesus a follow-up question. He says, okay, fair enough. Who is my neighbor? I think there's a couple reasons why he asked Jesus this question. Number one, I think he felt like an idiot. Because Jesus put him in his place. He was trying to set Jesus up for this big debate, and Jesus just answered him so simply. And was like, well, that's, that's correct. Do that, and you will live. Put that into practice. It's one thing to know what the commandments are. It's one thing to know what God has said. It's another thing to know how to, how to have eternal life. Jesus said, well, go, go and do it. Do this, and you will live. And so the man the Bible says he wants to justify himself, and so he asked Jesus a question, who exactly is my neighbor? You know what I think he was trying to do? I think he was trying to qualify the command. He's a lawyer. What do lawyers do? You take the law. You don't just take it at face value, right? Us, us normal people, we get, we get a ticket, or, or we get, you know, some kind of legal action. We get a notice in the mail. We just take it at face value and just do what it says. If you're a lawyer, you're going to comb through that thing with a fine-tooth comb. You're going, to find every, you're going to find every loophole. You're going to find every little tiny meaning in the law, and you're going to exploit it to your benefit. Well, that's what the lawyer tries to do. He tries to exploit the commandment and to try to, to, try to define the commandment to his advantage. And so he says, okay, Jesus, who is my neighbor? Because here's the thing. If we can limit who our neighbor is, it makes our life a whole lot easier. We all know we're supposed to love our neighbor, but let's define that for a second. Because if our neighbor is everybody, well, we're in trouble. That's a lot of people we got to love. But if, I can, but if I can qualify who my neighbor is, that makes my life a whole lot easier. If I can qualify the definition of neighbor to be just the people that live next to my house, that helps me. 
If I can make neighbor mean just my family, okay, now I can probably do that. But if, but if neighbor means everybody in my city, well, I'm in, I'm in trouble. How am I going to do that? And so the, the lawyer is trying to, to limit the scope of the command. And Jesus' response is so profound. Jesus, rather than busting out a dictionary and looking up the definition of neighbor, he tells a story. And it's the story of the Good Samaritan. And it's actually, it's one of our favorite stories, honestly. It's one of our favorite command, favorite parables that Jesus tells. The parable of the Good Samaritan. In fact, if I, if I, if I say the word Samaritan to you, what do you think of? You think of a generous person. You know, there's organizations like, you know, the Samaritan's Purse and different things like that where we're, we're using this word Samaritan because it's synonymous with generosity. It's synonymous with benevolence. It, it literally, in our, in our language today, it means that, that you're helping someone in need. And it all comes from this parable. But here's what you got to realize. When Jesus told this parable, it was not a nice, pretty story. Jesus was messing with people's, with people's paradigms. He was messing with their conceptions of reality. He was messing with their prejudices. He was messing with their, with the way that they, that they thought the world worked. And so he jumps in and he tells them the story. In Luke chapter 10, pick up in verse 30. Jesus says this, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day he departed. He took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay. Like I mentioned, we love this story. But when Jesus told it, there were so many layers of irony behind it. There was so much complexity to this story. There, in fact, this is probably the best way to say it. There was, there's so much wrong with this story from the perspective of the audience Jesus was talking to. It starts out, you know, innocently enough. It's, it's, it starts off sad and traumatic, of course. There's a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. And the Bible says he gets attacked by robbers. He gets beaten. He gets robbed. He gets stripped of all his clothing, left laying on the road half dead. He's in a horrible situation, a precarious situation. But then here's where the story gets weird. Because none should pass by. And I love what Jesus says. He says, by chance, a priest. Now, if you're listening to this story and Jesus says a priest comes by, that's a good thing. I'm sure the people listening to Jesus would be like, okay, good, a priest. There'd be a sign of relief. If you were in that man's situation, if you were on the side of the road, who better but a priest? to walk by. I mean, it would be like if we told this story today, it'd be like Jesus was saying, and then a pastor walked by. Right? You're laying there on the side of the road, and who should walk by but a pastor? Praise God. Right? This story's going to have a happy ending. And everyone's expecting that the pastor is going to stop by and, and help the man. 
He's going to pray for him, right? He's going he's to take him to the hospital. He's going to do whatever he needs to do. The Bible says that the priest passes by on the other side of the road. And if you're listening to this story, you're, 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 your head starts spinning. And you're like, wait, what? The priest does what? He, he leaves the man? And then Jesus keeps going. He says, and now a Levite. What was a Levite? They were, they were from the priestly tribe. This is an upstanding person in society. This is someone that, that you should have the tools. This is someone that should know the right thing. This is the, this is the kind of person you look up to. Right? We, we live in a different day and age, and we have people like that in, in our society. We have people that, if they were in that situation, that we would expect them to respond correctly. Right? Then maybe a doctor came walking by. Or a social worker. You know, someone uniquely suited to, to meet that need. So the Levite comes walking by, and the Bible says that the Levite does the exact same thing. He walks by on the other side of the road. He doesn't even help the man. And it begs to ask the question, why? What happened? You know, I've heard it said, and it's true, that were the priest or the Levite to try to help out this man, and either he was already dead or he died under their care, and they happened to touch a dead human being, that they would be ritually unclean and unable to minister in the temple. So they had, a, they had a religious prerogative. They had a good reason for leaving the man alone. But they prioritized their religiosity. They prioritized their, their, their standing in society. They prioritized their, their, own, their own appearance and their own idea of their own righteousness and goodness over this man's precarious situation. Even, even to the point where if you, when you study the Old Testament, you'll realize that nakedness was shameful. Nakedness was seen as sinful. So here they walk by this man. He's probably dead. He's laying on the side of the road, stripped of his clothing, and they're repulsed by him. How many times have we walked by people instead of loving them? How many times have we been repulsed by people's situation? You know, we see someone, you know, and, and guys, I'm, I'm like, getting convicted myself as I'm talking about this. How many times have we driven by people and instead of being like, how can I help them? We're thinking, I wonder what they did to put themselves in that situation. I wonder, I wonder why they're homeless. Or I, wonder, I wonder why they're living out of their car. Or I, I wonder why they're, they're dressed like that. Or I wonder why, they're, why are they like that? And instead of being compassionate, we're repulsed. And, and our religiosity turns us off from actually helping them. And just like the, the Levite, just like the priest, we walk by on the other side of the road. We don't even notice. We don't even make eye contact. We don't even pay attention to the plight that other people are in. But then Jesus keeps going. And I warned you that this, that this story gets weird. It, it gets even weirder. It gets even worse. Because who should come along but a Samaritan? In Jesus' day... You cannot imagine the extreme prejudice that existed between Jews and Samaritans. I mean, you think about the, the prejudice that exists today. It was nothing compared to what they, what they dealt with. To give you a little bit of background, about 800 years before Christ, when the Assyrians conquered the northern kingdom of Israel, right? So at one point in Israel's history, there was the northern tribes and there were the southern tribes. And Assyria came and they conquered the northern tribes and they took all those people away captive, never to be seen again. And they replaced them with people that, from other lands, from other countries. It was a strategy of this imperialistic nation to keep people from being attached to their homeland and from rising up in rebellion. 
So they took people from Israel, put them somewhere else, took people from other places of the world, transplanted them to Israel. And so they took with them their pagan customs, their, pa- their pagan um, practices, their pagan ways of life. But something interesting happened. History tells us that the people living in, in Israel, that were not Israelites, the people living in Samaria, began getting attacked by lions. And so the leaders of, of Assyria, they got together and they said, we have to, we have to fix this. Something's wrong. They're not, they must not be worshiping the God of the, of the region. So they, so they took a Jewish priest and had the priest teach the Samaritans how to worship Yahweh. And so what ensued was this mixture of Jewish and pagan culture. Where the Samaritans, they believed in Yahweh, they worshiped Yahweh, but they did it in their own way. They did it in their own fashion. But they also had some of their own pagan rituals. A couple hundred years later, during, during the Greek period, the, the Samaritans actually voluntarily allowed their temple to be converted to a temple for Zeus instead of to Yahweh. And so that they wouldn't have to face persecution. As you can imagine, that outraged the Jews. And so when the Jews won their independence, they destroyed the Samaritan temple. And so ever since, the Samaritans and the Jews just hated each other. In fact, both of them, the leaders of both people, forbade their, their citizens from interacting with the other group. It was seen as morally wrong for a Jew to interact with a Samaritan and vice versa. For either one of them, Samaritans or Jews, to have anything to do with one another, what would be seen as their leaders is wrong. But yet this Samaritan comes walking by. And when Jesus tells this story, I'm sure when, even when he mentioned a Samaritan, people, you could hear a pin drop. I'm sure people gasped. Like, what's a Samaritan doing in this story? What's he going to do? And the Samaritan comes. And the Bible says that the Samaritan has compassion on the man. He doesn't see someone that he's been taught all his life to be prejudiced against. He doesn't teach someone that he knows is probably prejudiced against him. All he sees is, a, is someone created in God's image that needs help. And, and for one reason or another, this Samaritan has a compassion that the religious leaders lacked. And what religion couldn't motivate and what religion couldn't, couldn't make happen on the part of the, the scribe or the, the priest and the Levite, what religion failed to accomplish in them, compassion accomplished in the, in the Samaritan. And the Samaritan saw this man beaten and broken, laying on the side of the road, helpless. And he, he goes out of his way. The Bible says that he stops. And Jesus, Jesus goes in, in a meticulous account of everything that the Samaritan does for this man. He says that he, he goes up to him and he, he bandages his wounds. He pours oil and wine on him. Now, you've you got to think about this. He probably wasn't carrying a first aid kit. He probably didn't have a first aid kit on the side of his donkey that he was able to open up and, you know, grab all the right bandages and the, you know, the, the antibiotic and the hydrogen peroxide. He, he didn't have any of that. But he grabbed, he grabbed oil and wine, some of the commodities that he had on his person, who knows, he's probably, he's probably a merchant, right? He took what he had, he, he washed his wounds, he bandaged him up, he put him on his own animal, and the Bible says that he took him to an inn. And then something happened that I'd never seen before. The Bible says that he cared for him, personally. I always assumed that he dropped him off at the emergency room. Because that, that's, that's what we would do, right? If we, if we got out of ourselves enough and we love somebody enough to rescue him, we take him to the emergency room, let the professionals take care of him. But that's not what this guy does. You see, he takes care of the man in the inn all day and into the night, meeting his knees, making sure he recovers, taking a personal interest in his well-being. 
And then the Bible says that the next day he pays the innkeeper for the room. And then he says to him, take care of this man until I come back. And whatever you spend, I'll take care of it. He gives him an unlimited line of credit to meet every need that this man might have on his road to recovery. You know what that is? That's extravagant love. And you know what will produce extravagant love within you is, is when you have God's heart of compassion for people. And I think where we get into trouble is we're, ex, we're trying to produce the right effect with the wrong motivation. We're trying to produce the right action. We're trying to produce benevolence out of our life, but we're actually doing it out of legalism. We're doing it out of this place of trying to perform. We're doing this out of, out of this place of trying to be good enough. And, and I, I know we've all done this, right? We, we've all loved somebody else, or I should probably put quotations on that. We've all, we've all tried to do things for somebody else to try to either make ourselves look good, to try to, how's this one, try to get a reward in heaven, right? Try to, try to, get, try to get brownie points in one way or another. But when you, when you serve God out of a religious heart, you're not really serving God. You're not really serving people. It's really about yourself. Religious motivation, think about this, is actually profoundly selfish. What, what, do, I, what do I mean by that? What, what do us as humans do? We, we concoct our own ways to try to get to God. That's, that's how I like to define religion. Right? We, come up with, we come up with our own ways of trying to make ourselves good enough, of trying to, to earn a relationship with God, of trying to earn standing with God. And some of the ways that we try to do that is by our own merit, by our own good works. Now, God wants us to do good works. The Bible says we're his workmanship created in God to do Christ, to created in God to do good works. But that's not what saves us. We don't, we don't earn our standing before God. We don't earn our favor with God. But a lot of times what happens, and maybe it's not even that. Maybe you're not even trying to earn your salvation, but you're trying to look like a good Christian. You're, trying, you're doing something because it's the Christian thing to do. You're doing something out of obligation. Obligation will not produce compassion. That kind of motivation will not produce the love that's needed in order to, to show the world the love of Jesus. And that's what happens in the story. Here are these two, these two men, the, the, the priest and the Levite, who should have been in a position to adequately love this man, were unable to. But yet here comes a Samaritan, this, this guy that's been looked down upon his whole life. This, this person that, that probably every time he walked through the, the land of Judah, he, he probably had to look over his shoulder and make sure that, that no one was going to stone him or no one was going was to persecute him. But yet, for some reason, there's compassion in his heart. The love of God is in his heart. And he loves this person who he should actually probably have nothing to do with. And Jesus' answer to who is my neighbor is to have two people that are, are worlds apart from one another that are separated by every cultural barrier imaginable, that are separated by the most extreme prejudice you could ever think of. And Jesus' answer to this, to, this, to this lawyer's question is, that's your neighbor. Being a neighbor has nothing to do with geography. It has nothing to do with how close to them you actually live. It has nothing to do with ethnicity. It has nothing to do with culture. It has nothing to do with being of the same political persuasion. Right? It has nothing to do with them agreeing with you in any way. It has everything to do with the fact that it's someone created in the image of God and something that God has positioned you to be able to love. Something that God has positioned you to be able to sow into their life and demonstrate the love of Jesus. 
And you know what, I'll be honest with you guys, we, we do the same thing, right? Hopefully we don't have groups of people that we've just decided not to love and not to care about. I hope not. If you do, we need to repent. But how many of you are aware that sometimes we don't really view people as people, right? Well, you know, when we're in church and we're, we're in the right mindset, right, it's food distribution day. We're all thinking about, oh, serving and loving people, right? But then you, you go out on your own way and you run to the, the grocery store to buy milk, you're already thinking about the fact that it costs like seven bucks now. This is ridiculous, right? But you go to the grocery store, you're not seeing people as people. We're seeing people as, as obstacles in our way to get, to get our job done, right? To get to the place we need to be. We don't see the people in the checkout line as people. We see them as people that exist to serve us and to meet our needs. People that get paid to do a service for us. That's not how God sees them. God sees them as people. God sees them as your neighbor. And our command from God is to actually love them as we love ourselves. Not, not to allow other people to, be, to fit into any other category. But every single person you come across with, no matter what walk of life they're from, no matter their background, no matter what the societal circumstance might be, that's your neighbor. Any person you come in interaction with, that's your neighbor. That's the person that God's called you to love. That's the person that God's called you to, to lavish the love of Jesus upon and to love extravagantly. And my prayer and what, what God's been, been, been birthing and doing within my own heart is, God, please help me to have a heart of compassion. God, please put your love within me. Please put your compassion within me. But you know what the problem is? Even though I want to do this, even though I know this is the way I'm supposed to live, even though I know this is what I'm supposed to do, it's exhausting. To, try, to love people like that every day, every person you come into contact with, to love them like Jesus, I, I can't do that. I don't have enough hours in my day. I don't, I don't have enough strength. I don't, I don't, have, enough, I don't have enough willpower. I don't, I don't have enough compassion. My compassion is a finite commodity. Let's just, let's just be real, right? When we, we do food bank on Oahu too. When I'm, when, I'm done, when I'm done serving that day, I want to go home and sleep. I don't want to talk to anybody else because my, my love tank is spent, right? I'm, 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 I'm depleted. And I want to I go home and relax and have, and have people take care of me, but it doesn't work that way because I have little kids, right? <laughs> and and we, we, we realize that our own love and our own motivation is limited. And I think that's why the, the lawyer responded the way he did. Because he realized, if I take it upon myself to love everybody, you got you to think about it. Here, here's the, one of the differences between this lawyer's predicament and our own. Thank God that we know that we're saved by grace, right? We know that we're saved by the finished work of Jesus on the cross. We're not saved by keeping the law. It's, it's the grace of God. It's by receiving Jesus in our, as our Lord and Savior. And as a result of that, part of the salvation process is the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. That's where works come in, right? It's a result of salvation, not the means to it. So this, this man is, is looking at this and he's like saying, if the way for me to get to heaven is I have to love everybody, I'm in trouble. I can't do that. And he, he realized that up front. And so his, his defense mechanism was to limit who his neighbor was. But now Jesus comes on the scene with the story of the Good Samaritan and says, your neighbor's everybody. And not, not only are you supposed to just treat them nicely, you're supposed to pour into them. You're supposed to do good to them. 
That's another difference between love and legalism is oftentimes legalism is all about the thou shalt nots, right? Don't, don't kill, don't steal. It's all what not to do. Don't commit adultery. And so if you can go through your, you could pretty much keep the law by just staying in your bed all day and just, and just not leaving your house. And you, you would, you would probably be good because you wouldn't interact with anybody, but that's not love. And when Jesus says, love your neighbor, it, it includes those things. Because when you love, you're not going to steal. You're not going to commit adultery. You're not going to murder. You're not going to lie. But love is so much more. Because not only, not only did the Samaritan not break the law, but he fulfilled it. And there's a big difference between not breaking the law and between fulfilling it. But even as believers, we have the same command. We have the same command from God to love our neighbor as ourself. To love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So the question that begs to be asked is how? How in the world do I do this? You know, it's, it's one thing to, to you know, I, I don't know about you, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at this challenge that we have to, like, do a random act of kindness during the week. And I'm, like, racking my brain of, like, how am I going to do one random act of kindness? I think loving your neighbor is a lot more than one random act. But it's good that we're doing this challenge because that's a, that's a place we need to start. A lot of us don't do that at all. And so the idea is that hopefully if you do this once, you get into a habit of it, you get into a rhythm of it, you realize, I can do this. This is fulfilling. This is rewarding. This is, this, there's life here. This is how I want to live. But Jesus isn't just saying love one neighbor a week. Jesus is saying love everyone you come in contact with, with the love of God. So the question that begs to be asked is, how in the world am I supposed to do that? Well, you know what the Bible tells us in 1 John? It says that we love God because God first loved us. The way, that we, the way that we start this process of love is by realizing and coming into contact and relationship with a God that loves you. With a God that loved you extravagantly. With a God that, that exhausted his own resources to love you. When God sent Jesus to die on the cross, God the Father sent God the Son to die on the cross, he gave everything he had. It was the ultimate sacrifice. There, there was nothing else that probably would have cost God anything. Yet when he gave his son, he gave everything. He put it all on the line. He exhausted himself for us. And it says in Romans that God demonstrates his own love for us in this. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I mean, think about it. It, it kind of reminds me of, of, the, of the Samaritan and, and the Israelite. Because here they're enemies. They're cultural enemies. Yet he goes out of his when he loves his enemy. So what God did for you and me. We weren't upstanding citizens when Jesus died for us. We weren't people that had our act together. We were sinners. We, were in, we, were in, we, were, we had animosity towards God. We were God's enemies. Yet God said, I'm going to send my son to die for you. I'm going to love you. And you know, what the, you know what Jesus said? Jesus said, whoever's forgiven much, loves much. When you realize how much God has forgiven you, when you realize the grace that you've received. That's another problem with religion is you think you earned it, so you expect everybody else to earn it. But when you realize the grace that's been lavished upon you, you realize the forgiveness that's been extended towards you, you realize how much God loves you, I'll tell you what it does is it opens something up within your heart. And now all of a sudden you're able to love. You're able to love God and you're able to love people the way that he loves people. You're at some, it, it's love, it becomes awakened within your heart. I remember when, when my kids were born, something, something unlocked inside of me. 
You know, those, those of you that have had kids, you don't have to make yourself love your kids. Right? You don't have to, you don't have to, you don't, no one thinks like this. They're like, well, a parent's supposed to love their kids, and this is what love looks like, so these are the things I have to do. The love flows naturally. The love flows innately because it's, it's something that God's put in your heart. Right? It's a love that comes from the inside out. You know what the Bible says that the Holy Spirit does? The Bible says that the Holy Spirit pours out love in our hearts. Isn't that amazing? That the Holy Spirit actually, one of his roles, one of the things that he does is that he pours out love within us. It's Romans chapter 5, verse 5. It says, now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. One of the roles of the Holy Spirit, one of the things that the Holy Spirit does in you and me is that he opens up our hearts and he begins to pour out God's love within us. Ladies and gentlemen, you're not going to be able to love the way Jesus loves with your own strength, within your own power. You're not going to be able to fulfill that command on your own. You, You are incapable of it. But God wants to pour his love out through you. God wants to pour out his love within you. God wants to allow you to be a a conduit of his love and of his grace. There's a story that I heard. Anybody ever hear of Corey Ten Boom before? And, and, you know, the hiding place. It was this incredible woman of God that that hid Jews during the, the the Nazi occupation of Holland. And her whole family was killed by the Nazis in concentration camps. And she survived. God used her to go around the, the nations of the world preaching a message of forgiveness and grace, bringing people to Jesus. And after preaching this sermon on forgiveness, this man comes up to her. And he says, and, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but he said, that message really touched me. It's a message about forgiveness. And he thanked her for it. She looks at this man, and it was one of the guards from the concentration camp that had one of the men responsible for her family's mistreatment and in death and she she realized very quickly I do not have love for this person I do I cannot love this person but yet she turned she turned to the Holy Spirit and she said she felt this love come upon her that wasn't from herself she felt this love come upon her that came straight from the Lord that came straight from the Holy Spirit and she was able to in that moment love the man and embrace the man and forgive the man and if we're going to love people like the Samaritan loved that man that had been beaten up and left for dead on the side of the road. It's going to take a love that comes from a deeper source than our own ability. It needs to come from a deeper source from our own ability to love. So I think the first thing that we need to do is embrace the love that God's given us. If you don't know how much God loves you, you need to find that out. If you're not absolutely convinced of the love of God towards you, that's where you need to start. Realize how much he loves you, what he did for you. And the way, to, to, the way to discover that is to look to the cross. Look what Jesus did for you on Calvary. But then pray that God would do a work in your heart and that God would begin to pour love in your heart for other people. That love that would overwhelm the, the ideas you have about people in certain segments of society. A love that would overwhelm prejudice. A love that would overwhelm our, our conceptions of people. A love that would, would overwhelm even our understanding of whether somebody deserves to be loved or not. And you allow the Holy Spirit to begin to pour out love in your heart.
And I want to encourage you, ask the Holy Spirit to do that. But then another thing that we need to do is we need to take steps of faith. And we need, and we need to physically and tangibly pour love on other people. And we need to love other people extravagantly. You know what, what James says? He says, what good is it if you see somebody that, that's, that's poor and hungry and, the, and they're in need and you say, oh, go your way and be blessed, but you don't do anything about it. Don't say, oh, God bless you when you have the power to meet their need. You know, that's one thing I love about this church is that we go out of our way. And I mean, many of you guys are here every, every Thursday serving and giving away food. In all of our ministries, we're... we're pouring ourselves out and we're loving people. This church knows how to love people. This church knows how to serve people. And I want to, I want to encourage you, involve yourself in loving others. Involve yourself in serving people. Because one of the, one of the ways to get your eyes off of yourself, one of, your, one of the ways to get, your, to get out of the rut of religion and self-centeredness is to begin to love someone else intentionally. When you say, you know, I'm, gonna, I am, I'm going to choose to love in this moment. Is love a feeling or is love a choice? So it's kind of both. They go together. But sometimes you don't get the feeling until you make the choice. Right? Where you say, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put myself in a position and I'm going to love this person because I know God loves them. And just like the Good Samaritan, I'm going to go out of my way and I'm going to exhaust myself and I'm going to exhaust my resources to love this other human being. And I'm going to love them extravagantly the way God loves me. And I'll tell you what, when you begin to live like that, there's such a joy and there's such a fulfillment that, that comes within your heart. And you know what the amazing thing is? Is, is rather, rather than love being exhausting, it's actually empowering. You know, you know one, one of the, the crazy things is this. When you're actually loving through the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm not saying you don't get tired. Because you, you still get tired. But there's, but there's something invigorating. There's something exciting about being used by God. There's something when you, man, I remember, you know, the first couple times I led someone to the Lord, and I just got so excited. And I shouldn't say the first couple times. It's like every, every time we get to lead someone to the Lord, it's like, man, that was awesome. Right? Every time you get to serve someone, every time you get to go out of your way to genuinely love somebody else, it does something inside of you. And there's this, there's this residual effect that when you give love, it's like you receive more. Just like a hose, right? The hose can't get, more, can't get more water until it gives what it has. And too many of us as believers, it becomes stagnant because we're not actively loving. And because we're not actively pouring love out on other people. But when you're connected to the source, and then you start just unleashing and unleashing love on other people. And start just pouring love out on others extravagantly. Not worried about what the cost is. Not worried about who's going to love you, who's going to take care of you. Because that's what Jesus said, right? He said, give without expecting to get anything back. And that when you do that, you'll be loving like God. Because that's the nature of our God. God is an, ex is an extravagant giver. God gives extravagantly. God loves extravagantly. And when we, when we give like him, when we give of ourselves to love other people like God does, we're actually acting like God. We're actually acting like our father. And that's what Jesus said. He said, when you give, not, accepting anything, not expecting anything back, Jesus says, that's when you're actually being sons of God. Right? That's when you're being sons of your father. You're actually acting like your father because he causes rain to fall on the just and the unjust. He gives to everyone extravagantly, whether they deserve it or not. And when you and I do that, we're actually living like him. We're actually tapping into his nature. We're actually tapping into the heart of God. And so I want to encourage you tonight. I know, I know that this is challenging. 
I know this is something that we, we can't do on our own, but here's the, here's the question. Are you willing? Are you willing to embark on a journey of extravagant love? Are you willing to embark on a, on a, on a quest, if you will, on a, are you willing to love like he loves? Are you, are you willing to lay down every, all of your own agendas, all of your own prejudices, all of your own desires, all of your own wants, and just say, God, I want to love like you do. I want to I let go of my own desires. I want to let go of my own expectations of what I'm going to get back. And Lord, I just want to love like you. Help me love like you. Help me love your people the way that you do. And if you're in this place and you say, you know what, I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to embark on this journey. I want you to raise your hand. And I want to pray for you. Because you know what, we need, we need the grace of God to be able to do this. I want everyone to go ahead and bow your head and close your eyes. Holy Spirit, we need you. I hope the word encouraged you. Thank you so much for joining us here on the King Central Podcast. God bless you. Walk in power and walk in the fullness of that which God has given you.